Welcome to Roll Calling, a podcast about actors we love and the movies we love them in. I'm Caroline Sita, a film and TV critic. And I'm Ned Baker, a filmmaker and an emotional wreck. Oh boy, the way this podcast works is that Ned and I take turns curating a five-film miniseries starring an actor we love. This is part three of our Dev Patel miniseries, and we're going to be looking at what I would say is like subtly one of the biggest transformations that an actor has gone through in recent memory, which is his Oscar-nominated turn in 2016's Lion, a tearjerker if there ever was one, and we're absolutely thrilled... Super thrilled to be joined by a special guest to help us break it all down. He's a friend of both of ours. We're so excited to have him. Welcome to the podcast, Adar Shah. Wow, so great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. So you know Ned from like way back when. Yeah. And then you know me because I directed you in the play The History Boys in college, which was a super fun experience for me and hopefully a fun experience for you too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. I love the History Boys. And yeah, Ned and I go back as far pretty much as it's like possible to go back with a person because Ned's younger brother was like my and continues to be my best friend from growing up. Um, so yeah, like love both of you. So pumped to be here. Yeah, dude. Psyched to have you. Yeah, I don't, I think like, I think probably we're talking like the year 2003 or four. That's probably when I when I met you. And uh, and yeah, so we went to high school together and we went to college together. And now um, I'm extremely thrilled that you're back in Chicago for the summer because uh, yeah. I missed you here. Yeah, so. it's great to be here. I-, I will also say like a highlight of my life was one Buck Baker referring to me as the third Baker boy, which happens. <gasps> oh, yeah. well, yeah, he, he meant it. Um, maybe we'll get Buck Baker on the podcast someday. Uh, I would. Dad, if you're listening. <laughs> If Come we talk the about the Godfather, the show. yeah, he wow. would be down to. I would tune All right, the our fuck Brando in series. for that. Yeah, I bet you would. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, this is the perfect energy for a movie that's like about family and different types of family. I feel like this mm-hmm. spiritual brotherhood right here is like the perfect dynamic. It's, it's on the palette for sure. It's relevant to our discussion. So. Adars, we had planned to have you come on for our last Airbender episode, and and unfortunately that didn't work out timing-wise, although I'm dying to hear some of your thoughts on that movie. But to start with, what are your general thoughts on just Dev Patel? Do you have a a relationship to our friend Dev? Yeah, definitely. Um, Have really strong feelings on Dev Patel. I think I would venture to say, I'm like maybe reaching a little bit, but I would venture to say that it's hard to be like my age. I'm 28. Um, and, you know, brown in America, um, like of South Asian descent generally, and not sort of have felt something for Dev Patel. Like, I feel like when I look back on my growing up, I can kind of like point to the major kind of South Asian actors, you know, sort of like Cal Penn, who, you know, we could probably do a whole nother podcast about the way he made his career. But like that one, you know, like important, but also now I feel a little cringy about the way that he kind of made fun of his heritage. And then it's like, <laughs> like uh you know nothing oh it's uh kevin g from mean girls very important to me i would, I would argue our first our first like south asian sex symbol uh-huh. um because he, he was actually i think that when we talk about like mean girls and what mean girls gives us i don't know that people give kevin g enough credit like he's the first mainstream south asian sex icon where like a south asian male is like you know not considered 
unable to have sex and he doesn't have an accent and he's sort of just like a normal everyday guy so he was actually very important to me and then after that yeah exactly like he literally yeah he's saying he like liked rap music and i was like i'm a brown kid who likes rap music you know um so anyway and then i would say dev patel and like slumdog millionaire which was like this like big mainstream kind of movie that featured all brown actors so i loved dev patel i was so hype when he like became famous and i think i was excited to see like what happened after Slumdog Millionaire. So anyway, that's a long meandering rant about Dev Patel. But no, I, not yeah. at all. In fact, I was about to say, what if we do a very quick? If we not just get the last Airbender thoughts, but can I, I'm just curious, what are your what are your Slumdog thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think like I would have to separate them into two categories. Like one, when I watched it when I when it came out when I was in high school, um, and I, like I was I was just like the representation. The word I would use is like intoxicating. It was so wild to see like, you know, a leading man who was, like, brown and a teenager like me um, at the time. So I loved Slumdog Millionaire when it came out. I, like, watched it with my high school girlfriend who was also brown. We were like, look, it's us on screen. Like, so, so hype. Um, Yeah, I think, like, it mainstreamed Bollywood. Now when I look back on it, I'm like, yeah, it's great. I'm so happy it happened. Do I want more for brown actors? I do. You know, I I do want more. But, um, but yeah, that's, I think that's what I think about Slumdog Millionaire. It's just like a fun fantasy. I think it showed India, like, it brought like Bollywood to the mainstream in a cool way. Um, and now I'm sort of like, okay, now I'm excited for, you know, the next, the next frontier, which I do think we've like approached. But anyway, that's, those are my thoughts on Slumdog Millionaire. What about you guys? We were, we also had sort of like complicated thoughts on appreciating what the movie was doing but also feeling like probably if this movie was made today, and actually I think it's a really interesting movie to have in conversation with The Lion, because in some ways I think Lion, it has a lot of the same themes in terms mm-hmm. of looking at brotherhood and poverty in India and having this thing where half the movie is flashbacks with little kids and half of it is Dev mm-hmm. as the older version. But I think Lion is a much more nuanced look at that sort of storytelling format in the way that maybe Slumdog felt kind of broad and mainstream. So I'm like, really, I was kind of, I was like, oh, I wonder how much we're going to have to talk about with Lion. I had seen it and liked it when it came out, but I hadn't seen it in a while. But rewatching it for this, I'm like, oh, there's so much to dig into here. Like, I'm really excited to chat with this. And Ned, this you had never seen Lion before. Is that right? No, I watched it this morning for the first time. And I wasn't – I hadn't even watched the trailer. I, I, I didn't really – I didn't know anything about this movie. Wow. Yeah. It hit me like a, hit me like a truck. It hit me like a little motorbike. How long – were you freaked out that you had clicked on the wrong movie and Dev Patel was never going to show up because he doesn't show up until a full hour into the movie? <laughs> no, I guess you know what I did. I had seen the uh, I had seen the poster which has an adult smolder Dev and the kid with the little sort of moths butterflies. So from the first scene, I was like, "This is Lion," but I did expect I did expect a little like five to ten minute prologue before it jumped to Dev, and I was surprised that he doesn't appear until i don't know what mark like the 40 minute mark it's basically about an hour yeah so this is a two-hour movie and the first half is um following sunny pawar aka the most adorable child who has ever lived in the history of children unreal yeah it's truly unreal so we're following um him playing the young saru in india who has this this is based on a real life story and it's a young kid who very tragically gets lost um, from his family because he falls asleep on a train and just travels like thousands of miles or at least hundreds of miles. I didn't do the conversion from kilometers a- to miles. About a thousand very miles. Very far away. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, and gets lost and ultimately ends up getting adopted by um, two parents in Australia. And then we, the second half of the movie, we jump forward 20 years and then we follow Dev as he is trying to use 
Google Earth to recreate sort of where he was from and see if there's any way to connect with his mom and his brother, who he really, you know, hasn't seen since he was like five years old. So yeah, that's the plot. Um, Adarsh, what did had you you had seen this movie before, right? Because you had said that this was one you you felt you had like some sort of connection to, right? Yeah, I had I had watched it, and actually, the crazy thing about the first time I watched Lion was that. Um, so I I don't think you said this, but like a lot of the like the place where kind of he ends up is the city of Kolkata, which um you know is like a city in India that is huge and also like. I think most pretty much all cities in India suffered sort of like colonial extraction, but Kolkata is like famous in India for being kind of like the amount of sort of British colonial extraction that happened there is like really, really um, high. Like, it, and when you like go there, you can like feel it, like walking around the city. There's a lot of like really beautiful old kind of British things that show that it was once a British outpost and sort of juxtaposed with like really intense poverty, even for kind of India standards. Like I have relatives, um, I have cousins who are sort of like, when I told them I was going to Kolkata, they were like, I would never like subject my kids to that. So I, I bring that up just to say that like Kolkata does have this kind of, you know, identity even amongst Indian cities uh, in that way. And I was actually on my way. I watched it like right before I went to Kolkata and I did have kind of a really strong emotional reaction. And it was sort of wild to like watch the movie and then go to Kolkata and like see for myself, um, you know, some of the like stuff that the movie is kind of talking about. So actually, like, I was going to Kolkata to see, to actually scatter my dad's ashes. My dad had just passed away. And so I was going to Kolkata to, like, scatter my dad's ashes. So I say that also to, like, bring, like, another kind of emotional lens. Like, I think I was going to Kolkata looking for a connection. And then I watched this movie about, you know, this guy who was sort of, like, like lost his family in Kolkata. And so it was just, like, a lot, I think, a lot of um, emotional connections there uh, when I first watched Lion. So, yeah, that was actually my... Um, my like first experience with Lion is kind of this like really intense um, emotional moment in my life. I mean, it is a very emotional and I think complex movie. And one thing I really appreciated about it is it doesn't feel like didactic. It's not sort of saying, it's not sort of trying to make some big message about one thing. It feels very observational. It's like, okay, here's the thing that happened to a kid. Here's the many ways in which this kid experiences family. Here's the good parts of that family. Here's the hard parts of that family. And it just sort of lets everything exist. And I think especially in comparison to something with Slumdog that's operating more on like a fairy tale level and does feel like it wants to, I don't know, tie things up more or comment on things more. It feel I really appreciate that Lion did not feel like, here's the message we're trying to drill home. It was just like, here's some people that exist and you can live in their story in a very nuanced way. And I think that that is particularly an asset in the first half. Which I think, I don't know how you guys feel. I feel like the first half of this movie is a little bit stronger than the second half for me. As much as I really love Dev's performance, I think just narratively the first half, just watching Saru as this young kid try to navigate all this is just so, you're just so sucked into it. Because it's so terrifying to watch this kid just completely lost with like no resources. I was extremely invested watching watching this five-year-old navigate. It's just, it, as you, it is just such an impossible situation i mean from the moment when you start to realize that he's he's left at the platform and then when he wakes up on the train i was immediately like the my my heart dropped into my stomach i was like this is a nightmare and he's just he's just navigating precarious situation after precarious situation it's just the sort of constant threat of danger and exploitation and manipulation that are around him when he is 
he's not an eight-year-old. He's not a 12-year-old. He's literally five years old. He's like so ill-equipped to deal with what the world is going to do to him. It's, it's an, it is intensely, I don't know, engaging and to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you're right that the, the second half definitely has a very different vibe because he no longer, because it stops being a story about can someone actually like navigate his circumstances? It's more about can he just navigate his own sort of personal, like sort of emotional legacy of what he went through in the first half. And I, I am extremely glad that, as I say, I feel like a more traditional structure for this would be your 15-minute childhood prologue, and then it's mostly about the you know, famous actor playing the adult version navigating this. And the fact that you spend so long with him as a five-year-old you really see how, even though he's in many ways appears to have totally got his feet under him, he's still, I mean, it just makes you extremely sympathetic to how he's like processing trauma the whole time. And I would also say I agree that the way that I, it doesn't feel like it's going to do sort of a um, a pat little structure because of, because it is biographical, because you don't think like, oh, this character's being brought in here to appear later on. Like, I'd say that the sort of episode in the first half where he meets a woman named Noor who takes him back to her apartment and introduces him to... Diabolical. Yeah, it's a, it's just a crazy chapter. Yeah. Because yeah. she sort of seems like this woman that's just taking him in to help him. And then we sort of never fully get an explanation for what's happening. But this man comes in and acts very creepy around Saru. And it feels like, could this be a human trafficking situation? Like, you just don't quite know. And all that really comes across is like, Saru, as this five-year-old who's very observant, just realizes something's wrong and ultimately runs away from them. And there's no answers because presumably the real-life Saru doesn't have answers to that episode of his life. And so, again, it's the thing that they just sort of, like, let exist as what it is. Exactly. And and it, it that also reminded me of Slumdog because Slumdog has this sort of B-plot of this guy whose name I can now not remember. But the uh, Maman, maybe? the guy The guy who's, like, has a little army of children mm-hmm. that he blinds oh, yeah. to have them go right. and sing right and that becomes like a runner because that's just the way the structure of that movie works it's like a it's like a you have to see that guy again and then they kill him and then that leads them into being involved with this other gangster um and this is just like a thing he navigates and gets away from and is part of his experience but it doesn't it isn't revisited because that's life yeah, I think I don't know if you guys read the like variety article that's written about this, which I think I is um yeah, it's sort of like based I think on the real Saru like his experience and in this part it's like yeah, I think they it's changed a little bit narratively, but that character he basically describes like the way he said it is like he couldn't quite put his finger on it, but that guy like when he was talking to him, he got a little bit too close, like was looking at him in a little bit like the wrong way. I think the actual exact text is like, I felt something in my stomach that like wasn't right. And so Mm -hmm. then when he got the moment, he kind of escapes. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's just so nuts. Like I was such an oblivious kid at that age. I kind of like still am a little bit of a space cadet. And so (laughs) like, it's just wild. Yeah, that level of perceptiveness is so wild. And I think it like speaks to, like it's, it's such a like nuanced, I think, portrayal. Like I think that he like has a lot of little kind of emotional moments and is like such a rich inner life. And I think that that actor, the child actor, like does such an amazing job um, portraying all of that. I don't know. Did you guys watch the trailer? Mm-hmm. No. Um, yeah. So I actually haven't watched it, but I watched it like back in like 2016 when this came out. And I was like, 
I hated it. I think that I, the trailer struck me as like very melodramatic. I think it's like all mm-hmm. the most dramatic moments. It's like a lot of him like yelling. And I was just like, oh God, dude, like this is going to be like a horribly melodramatic about movie about like poverty in India. That's going to make me like cringe. And it's going to make like, whatever, you know, there's like all this other baggage. I'm like, you know, only one movie every however many years comes out with like Indian characters. And so like, you know, when they, people watch this movie, they're going to like ascribe. Like I just felt like I had all of this baggage and I felt a lot of like irritation, you know, with the prospect of this like melodramatic movie about like poverty in India. Um, but I think actually the the movie is like very nuanced. Like I think that there's like a lot of little moments and I think, I mean, I'm sure we'll like get into this, but I think a lot of the like emotional releases are like actually really earned and like it's actually really beautiful the in the first half I think the moments of like happiness he has or like connections he have he has and that's why I think for me the first half rang not like um not as kind of like superficial or like gratuitous like poverty porn but actually like the genuine experience of like this kid navigating these like pretty horrific um experiences but I don't know did you I'm curious about you guys did you did did any part of the first half like feel gratuitous to you or like yeah I'm I was curious if like what what y'all's reaction was I think it feels honest I mean we should point out so the director is named um Garth Davis and this who's a white Australian guy the screenplay is written by Luke Davies who I believe is also white I did not check on that but it's based on the real guy Saru um so it is to some degree or definitely a a movie that's like filtered through like a white western lens but i think feels like a movie that's done with real care at least from my point of view which is also a white western point of view but it feels like it's done with real care to sort of just i don't know represent like kind of like you were saying just like an honest portrait of india like okay here's what poverty is like in india here's people that are harmful here's people that are helpful again i like that it's not trying to draw some big message or statement And I will say just in terms of like how they made this movie. So they filmed all the stuff in India first and they actually had Dev on set when Sonny Poar was doing all the kids stuff because they wanted him to feel like when he was playing the adult Saru, he had like memories essentially of what his younger self went through. And it sounds like they were very like, because the Sonny kid, like he's not an actor or anything. He was just like a kid they found and they were very careful to sort of like protect him on set and make sure he felt safe because he I mean he carries this movie for a full hour (laughs) but they talked about um Garth Davis talked about you know having both like sort of an acting coach and then another person who is both a translator and an acting coach to sort of just like get this performance in a way that just let this kid sort of feel alive and lived in which I think he very much does um so yeah and and um Garth Davis was also saying that he wanted to film like wanted to film the India stuff first to ground the actors and like the whole crew just in that world. And then almost to make it so that when they went back to Australia, Australia felt foreign to them because they wanted for the movie, you know, Australia is essentially the foreign country, right? That Saru goes to because, because it it is all grounded in India. This isn't a movie where it's like, we started in Australia with flashbacks to ooh this distant land. It is a movie where like Australia is the distant land and it's so overwhelming when Saru goes there for the first time. And so I think they were kind of purposeful in how they shot it so that when they got back and started filming in Australia, they're like, okay, how would the, how should we film this in a way that makes it feel kind of alienating as opposed to being like, oh, this is our hometown. Let's film this as we would a place we're familiar with, which I think is a really smart like directorial touch. That's a very interesting behind the scenes perspective to have because I, I do totally think in the scenes where he first goes into the, the Briarley's house. Mm-hmm. And it's just looking around at the the decor and their objects, and I'm like, 
yeah, this stuff all does look weird. God, that would be so strange for him. Again, like an effect of sitting in his perspective and his world for a long time. Um, I would say, others, to your your question about, like, does it all, like, I, I, I would say I also didn't feel that there was anything where I was like, oh, this sequence is pushing it. This is just kind of, this is just kind of sensational for its own sake. I don't have a sense. I mean, I guess this is not a portrayal of this city now of Kolkata. It's a it's a portrayal of it in in the eighties. Um, it does two thousand eight. Well, but I mean, when he's a child, that's the eighties, oh, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Wow, you're 80s. completely right. I yeah, yeah, you're one hundred percent. But you know, now, yes, it's like eighty seven. Yes, but but it, it it is a similar. It reminds me of some conversations we had about the city of Juarez, which is kind of like a character in the movie Sicario, which is. Which is like, I mean, it it looks like, like hell on earth in that movie, and it, I, I, it's hard for me to say because I'm like, I just don't know. Is this a representation of, you know, an actual like rough, underbelly that that exists, or is this a, like, let's zoom in on all the nastiest stuff? I mean, we'll say this this is not like Sicario in its in its like portrayal of utter like lawlessness and savagery that that movie sort of seems to depict in that city so it's hard for me to say like like whether i think this characterizes that city well yeah i mean i think right so i I made the point earlier about kolkata uh just kind of to say that like you know kolkata is a city which uh, i think like has a lot of stereotypes about it and i think if it was a movie about Kolkata, then I would sort of be like, even I would kind of bristle at it and kind of mm-hmm. be like, yes, obviously, like, this is a reality that exists, but also, like, you know, this is classic, like, danger of a single story. Like, if you're going to tell a story of Kolkata, like, also show us all the other things that are going on in this, like, vibrant, important city. I mean, the whole thing with Kolkata is, like, everything that they show in this movie is juxtaposed with, like, really, like, beautiful also like beauty, you know, I mean, nowhere is like that simple, but I think like, this is the story of this character who's having like a very particular experience um, in Kolkata, which is, I think the place is significant, but it's about the character's experience. Mm -hmm. And I think like to that end to show what he went through, I actually like appreciate that they didn't pull punches and like showed kind of the, like the horrors of what he experienced, because I think it's important to the storytelling. And maybe it's, that's what I'm zeroing in on is like, I see the purpose of showing it. It's not just like, let's just make another movie that like, you know, shows people how terrible things are in India. It's like, we're going to like tell a story about a particular character. And I actually thought in this case, like every step of the way, like, you know, it's like first he kind of, like, I I felt like every step of the way you saw other children who didn't like make it basically, or like Mm -hmm. had much more horrible fates. And in this case, like I thought that that was very powerful because it was sort of like, I really felt like in a visceral level, first of all, this straight up like sheer luck. I mean, definitely his own kind of ability to survive. And, you know, like a lot of credit goes to him for escaping bad situations, but also like there's an element of luck. And I think that, yeah, like lucky, frankly, like that scene where like he's sleeping on a mat and some kids get snatched up and Mm -hmm. some kids don't. I was like, damn, uh, it's literally just like some kids are unlucky and some kids are lucky. And I thought that that stuff was actually very powerful because it added to his narrative. It's like he went through all this stuff and some of it is just straight up luck, which then like I think is mirrored later when he's sort of having his breakdown. He's talking about like privilege and he's like, why am I yeah. here? You know, like I think like that was a nice mirroring. So I guess all of that to say like it did, it did work for me. But I, yeah, I was curious to like litmus test that if other people were like, no, 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 this is like too much or yeah. 
I think the thing you hit on with luck is it does become so much a point of the second half. I think that the director has described it as like the first half of the movie is about external conflicts. And then the second half of the movie, the dev part is about internal conflicts. And it is sort of like the first half you're just watching essentially like all this trauma happened, but because he's a child, he can't really fully process what's happening necessarily, at least like, you know, on an intellectual level. And then it feels like sort of into young adulthood, like when we first meet Dev, it feels like he's just repressed so much. Like you're not even quite sure how many memories he has because he's only, you know, he's so little when he leaves. And then so much of Dev's story, it's like lifting up that repression and dealing with the trauma and dealing with the guilt that, like you said, completely like the luck of survival and him thinking about how many people were not lucky in that way and wondering if his his mom and his brother are just out there, you know, every day still looking for him and this like... (sighs) And then the complicated guilt of, like, he loves his mom, who's played by Nicole Kidman, his adopted mom, and he loves her, too, and he loves his whole adopted family. So then the guilt of, like, not wanting them to feel bad that he is yearning for his biological family as well. Like, it's really – it's like a movie about mothers and brothers because he also has a adopted brother who's also from India in his Australian family. So it's like you have these two contrasting mother – brother duos and sort of like all the very Mm -hmm. very complex emotions that that come from all of that yeah and i do think they convey like his love of home you know that was like something else i appreciated is that like they weren't like oh we're gonna like paint where he lives with like a very one-dimensional brush it's like he clearly like loves where he lives and i actually think like some of the scenes like that first scene with the i think they're like butterflies or something that are like flapping around and then his brother is sort of like come on we have to go like i do think that they showed beauty and where he's from which is something that you know like when i came to kolkata and i was like entering all these like spaces that were like like you know my dad and my family had like told me about for so many years it was like kind of the home like it's obviously a very different kind of homecoming than happens at the end of this movie but i like even though you know, like, my parents came from very poor circumstances, like, I, there was, like, a lot of beauty in that, and I think, like, I appreciated that I, at least, maybe I'm, like, projecting on and giving the movie too much credit, but to me, like, I do think there was a lot of effort put in to show that, like, there's a lot of, even, like, in the everyday stuff that they would do, there was, like, a lot of um, beauty, and I think, like, that, maybe, like, all of that together is, like, what what made it, what made it work for me, Um, and just, like, that actor, I, I think, like, so much credit goes to that, um, what yeah. is his name again? You said Sonny it. Sonny Pawar. Sonny Pawar. Like, kid, yeah. oh my God. Also just like the way that he's able to like emote and can like feel what he's going through and his relationship to different things. I almost felt, uh, yeah, again, like I kind of felt like there was almost like a maturity in his like taking in of the world that I, I really mm-hmm. was like amazed that he was able to like show. Because so much of it happens in his head, which I think happens in the second half of the movie. It's like, have you guys seen Life of Pi? Um, yeah. That movie, no. oh man, I could, if you want to have me back on to talk about that movie, okay, I would happily. Absolutely. Oh God, I'm so mad. That movie makes me so mad because the book is so good and so profound and the movie is such trash. But like to, <laughs> to the like credit, uh, like, or like to voice the difficulty of that movie, the whole book, basically the whole book for those people who don't know, like takes place in the head of this guy who's on a boat by himself. That's literally the whole book. And so how do you like, right? The whole movie is like what's going on in your, or the whole book is what's going on in his head. And how do you like translate that to a movie? I think like there was some of that in this. And I think like the actor does an amazing job of like letting you into like what he's feeling. And a lot of it is like nonverbal or like very little, like in the first scene, like most of what he says is his brother's name. And it's crazy how much emotion I feel like, He's able to convey just by saying, like, Gudu, that name. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, just like, yeah, also just, wow, hats off to that actor. I hope that that, that I don't know where he is now. Is he like, I hope he's. Yeah, I'm not sure either career. if he, I mean, 
Yeah, I don't know if he would even want to be an actor per se. Like, I, you know, I don't mean, right, I feel true. like sometimes little kids will just come and do a cool thing and that'll be it. But yeah, I hope, I hope whatever he would want to do in life, he's, <laughs> he's able, able to, to do, do it. it. Yeah. yeah. He has made, I just pulled up IMDb, he has made a handful of movies since then. His most recent one was, he was on TV in 2019 and now he's in post-production for a film called Tiger's Nest. Wow. Wow. All right, Sonny. There is some very cute footage out there from the Golden Globes of Dev and Sonny walking on stage to introduce Lion. And I mean, Dev is like a giant and Sonny is so tiny and they're sort of holding <laughs> they're hands. They're wearing matching tuxedos. Intro, they're wearing matching tuxedos. And at the end, he like picks up Sonny and it's for Sonny to say like, you know, here's our movie Lion. And it is truly the cutest thing. If you're a person who likes watching men be very sweet and nurturing towards children it is a video that will just do many many things to you as i feel like just a lot of okay wait let me let me take this moment to transition into like dev in particular Mm -hmm. because one of the biggest thing this movie does is just give us beardy buff dev which is such a transformation from how we knew him you know certainly from slumdog where he's this nerdy skinny gangly boy next door kid and then i feel like he emerges as this like you know, full man, which was actually like, I was reading very much the point of this movie when Garth cast him, he said, I want you to um, bulk up, I want you to grow your hair out, I want you to have a beard, like I want to sort of transform you Mm -hmm. (laughs) as a person for this role. And I mean, everything that Dev says about this movie, like it sounds like this was a super transformative experience for him, like not just literally, but sort of like emotionally too. He said, it was a real process of growing up and learning a lot about myself. It's been the most nourishing experience of my career. And he ends up taking like eight months just to do prep for this movie. Like he does physical training. He has to do an Australian accent in this movie. So he does all this dialect work for it. In addition to going to India and watching all the scenes that Sonny was filming, he also went three weeks early and he ended up, he would just travel around india on the trains and the way that saru did and sort of like journal about them and Mm. the whole experience sounds a little bit like theater schooly to me which is appropriate since we all went to theater school together but it sounds like garth had just like a lot of like exercises and things for them to do and it'd be like okay go in this field and like think about how you're experiencing this moment and then we'll record the sound and then when you're on set in australia we'll like play the sound back for you and you can kind of like get in the moment of how you were feeling and uh, there was some interview where dev was like yeah we just like you know, we were doing the scene, we just like let the camera roll forever and forever and forever. So I could just like get more and more into it. It sounds like this was a very, like, this seems like a movie where Garth Davis like really took Dev seriously as an actor and like an artist, which I ha- I sort of feel like maybe he was not always treated that way early in his career. Like he was sort of like, oh, here's a young find and okay, we'll kind of put you as like a comic relief or a sidekick character for a while. And I feel like, like it, it's completely understandable to me why Lion felt so transformative because it feels like he was just really being like, taken seriously and giving the space to do good work which frankly i think people of color you know indian people in particular like are just not often given the opportunity to do in hollywood and and like in particular there's a version of oh sorry go ahead. yeah go ahead no, no no i was just gonna say like i think you're bringing up like so much awesome stuff that i want to talk about but i really like that scene where he's like it's like this like halle berry moment where he like comes out of the water and is like all sexy and like you said yeah, like literally yeah. buff he has long hair like i really can't emphasize i think it's i mean that was 2016 so that's like five years ago now I still think it's the same way. I think now there are a few more examples and like we've made some progress, but like at that time, like you, like I would say South Asian, but I would actually extend it probably to be all kind of 
basically all Asian men, like in Hollywood, like we don't get that, you know, like there is no, I think Asian men in mainstream movies, like they're so emasculated, you know, it's always like the weird nerd, they have no sexual life. So like the idea that like a brown guy and even some dog millionaire, right? Like I was really hype about it, but it still fit that cookie cutter mold where he was like this like nerd who has this like, but like the idea that like Dave Patel fucks, you know, like that is, like, we don't, we literally don't, like that's not in movies, you know? So like, I actually remember yeah. like seeing him and getting so hyped it's like um you know in lost uh uh what's his name like uh the korean the characters Andrews. well naveen andrews very hot and then oh, the Kore- yes he- what uh daniel day daniel kim. day kim like i'm like i want to yeah oh man i'm like daniel day kim like reeks of sex and i think like yeah we don't cheekbones for days. yeah oh my god and like that's it was so profound to see like daniel day kim and i was kind of like damn and i like naveen andrews fair enough but like to have like such a sexual moment um and that's why i made you know i mentioned kevin g earlier and probably maybe you know rings is a little silly but like it is crazy honestly to see like a brown high schooler like rapping about like you know like fucking somebody because like we don't um like you know brown people on television are like not expected to do that because the assumption is that like yeah asian men like don't don't do things like that and so anyway like that was yeah it was profound for me and i wonder i would you know i'm I'm reaching now but i actually would wonder like for dev patel right too to to probably be like put on screen in like a sexy way in 2016 mm-hmm. for a character like dev patel probably like I would think profound, but anyway, for me, like very profound. Like I, when he came on screen, yeah. I was like, "Fuck yeah, that's us!" Like we're doing <laughs> it, we're hot, you know. And like, just yeah, I yeah, I can't emphasize enough how how like wild that was and awesome. So anyway, a, a, that scene alone, thank you so much, Lion. Yeah, yeah. Let me do a little backtracking to like catch us up to where Dev is in his career so far. So Please. I've kind of classified. His, I've, I've done some little classifying of how I would define his career. And I think he's got this little, he breaks out on the first role, as we talked about, was on the TV show Skins. He does Slumdog. He does Last Airbender, which, Adoshai, I have not forgotten that we still need to get your thoughts on Avatar. We will circle back around to that at some point. But I would consider those three projects, that's very much his like high school, college years, right? He's just like this young kid, literally like, I think, 16 or 17 when he gets cast on Skins. Very young for all those roles. And sort of this, you know, breakout star, but maybe not fully taken seriously as an actor. Um, and then he goes into this like young adult period is what I've classified it in my notes. And I think he's got like two main sort of franchises that are going sort of before Lion transforms him. One is the HBO TV show, The Newsroom, which is Aaron Sorkin's follow up after West Wing, after Studio 60. He does this, frankly, fully unhinged TV show called The Newsroom. It's about a cable news station. And De- it's a- I actually think that the show, I've been rewatching it, I think it's a pretty good use of Dev. Like, it's a good use of, like, he is kind of like a cute 20-something guy who is idealistic and, like, tuned into tech, but I think more in a, like, young person way than in... Sometimes they, like, reference him as an IT guy, but they present him as, like, a journalist running a blog. So there is some confusion in terms of, like, what they wanted the character to be, but I feel like they let him grow into, like, okay, he's got girlfriends coming around, like cute idealistic young guy but very much like an ensemble player and sort of shoved into a little bit of a stereotypical potentially techie role and then his other franchise is the best exotic marigold marigold hotel there's one movie that comes out in 2011 they do another one in 2015 i watched both of those movies in one day this weekend because i was curious about them it's about it's like judy dench and maggie smith and um every old white British person you've ever heard of, they all go to this like retirement community that's run by Dev in India. And it's a very, I would say Dev's, the whole franchise 
it's like Mamma Mia, but if Mamma Mia, instead of having ABBA songs, was like, colonialism is cute. And that was sort of like oh, yeah. the vibe of it. And Dev's character is, if you can imagine what you would imagine a sitcom portrayal of a young Indian guy running a hotel would be, like, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And like, to his credit, I think Dev is very funny. I think he's a good comedian. He has good comedic timing. But the character is like, you know, a very much a comedic stereotype. And so he is sort of like locked into, like, I think that that, there was a world where his career was just that. It was just sort of playing like the Indian sidekick, the nerdy sidekick character. And like, Lion is really the thing that takes him out of that and pushes him into doing, you know, becoming a sex symbol, as you mentioned. And just like, like, the the level of fame that he hit with Slumdog Millionaire, like, he should have been set after that, you know? Like, I think any white actor, mm-hmm. like, the fact that he, oh, Marigold Hotel, like, I watched it with my mom, because, you know, I was gonna ask like, yeah, yeah, I watched it with my mom, she was, like, hype, she was like, oh, this movie's about India, we gotta watch it, I was like, okay. Um, and, yeah, it's, like, parts of it are so cringy. Um, although, yeah, there are a couple of characters, whatever. Mostly, it's... it's not, there's, there's, like, re- redeemable and enjoyable things about it. Yeah, but... I did watch both of them did your, one Did day. your mom like it? <laughs> um, I, yeah, she. I think it was, like, a romp, you know, and she she enjoyed uh-huh. that. And I honestly think, like, to be honest, the um, older generation, like, I mean, myself too, but I think, like, my parents' generation, the representation seduction is just still... Like, she she was just hyped that it was a movie about India, and she was like, oh, look, like, you know, like, I, I recognize this. Um, yeah, I, I think I think what she said was, that was dumb, but, like, fun, or something like that, which I, I agree yes. with that take. But um, it's just, I like, no other actor of that caliber would then have to have taken a role like that. Like, it's so crazy that 1, he had a movie, like, Slumdog Millionaire, and then, like, yeah, I don't know, I don't, yeah, like, it's like, where'd he go? And then he, like, Marigold Hotel, he plays this, like, caricature. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, it's just so sad. Like, if that movie had to exist, that role should have gone to some, like, you know, like, breakout actor who we've never heard of. It's crazy that that's, right. like, Dev Patel. It's a very small role. And one thing I wanted to point out, so, um, there's an interview in December of 2019 with, uh, Mina Masood, who played Aladdin in the live-action Aladdin movie. So this interview comes out like eight months after. After this movie comes out, it's a movie that grosses over a billion dollars. He gives a wonderful performance as Aladdin. Frankly, like, I'm mixed on that movie, but he's super charming. And he says that he did not get a single audition since Aladdin came out. He's um, of Egyptian descent, Egyptian-Canadian. And, I mean, you're completely right that there's no way a white actor is the lead of a movie that grosses a billion dollars and they don't get projects lined up and the i mean i'm really glad he came out and said that because i think it just goes to show that you can have this insane level of success and then because there's not you know the stereotypical follow-up thing to slot you into in the way that we have that machine for like here's a successful white actor okay here's the like five projects we slot them into that just doesn't happen for actors of color and like clearly didn't happen for dev for a while until he sort of you know, I think takes it upon himself in some ways. Like Lion is not this big studio, like let's put stuff behind you. This is like an indie movie that just happens to hit really big. And like, who knows where his career would have gone without it. Yeah. And he, it's interesting that he's still, he now is, I think, extremely well known to a certain set of people, including like film nerds. But I'm like, even those sort of like big projects that, that I think of as being like big projects that he's helmed lately, like they're not blockbusters. They're like indie darlings. Like yeah. like Green Knight coming out soon. I'm like, ah, dude's about to play like Sir Gawain. That's awesome. But it's like, oh, A24 movies do not mean to the whole world what they mean to like my little crew of friends who get so 
freaking amped every time there's a new one of those coming out. Yeah. yeah. So. And just like one more, again, not not to like overdo it, but one more example, like uh, the movie Pitch Perfect, um, the brown character in that, his name is um, Utkarsh Amutkar, which like nobody knows that except for me because I was just, again, fucking hype <laughs> on all brown actors. And he... Um, yeah, he's like a, a pretty big role in that movie. Um, and he's also like stunning. You should Google him, like look at a picture of him. He's a little bit older now, but, um, and I think like, yeah, it does like similar kind of indie projects, but at that time was, yeah, I think probably in his like early to mid twenties, just like very classically, which again, this is problematic too, but very classically like Hollywood famous looking, super good looking guy. Like I think checked all of the boxes and he actually, I, re- I saw this interview with him where he, um, like, the, basically the main character of Pitch Perfect, whose name I don't know, but like the kind of main male actor, literally said to him, yes, like, yes, Adam Devine. I yeah, think. I think that's right. Or like, Skylar Aston, which, one? um, whatever. Uh, it's a, yeah, I don't, I, I can, both of uh, them, they're both doing fine. In their yeah, careers, exactly. And like he, apparently he had a conversation with, with Karsh and was like, this is it, dude. Like, you made it. Now that you're in the movie like this, like, with a role like this, like, you'll be totally fine. It's also worth mentioning that, um, uh, Dear Evan Hansen, that dude was in Pitch Perfect and was, I can't mm-hmm. remember his name, Ben, ben Platt. Yeah. Like, so all these people, like, Pitch Perfect, you know, I'm not sitting here arguing that it's a quality movie, but all these people's, like, careers, you know, like, definitely went to high places after that. And he, like, he literally was like, like, I was told that and I got all excited. And same thing, where, like, after that movie, like, you know, he was kind of struggling to get roles. Another fun fact is he read the very first, I freaked out when I saw this, um, the, I think the very first like stage reading of Hamilton, he, he read for Aaron Burr. Yeah, because um, he is in, now we're on a tangent, but I also like, sorry, so I'm excited there. to have this tangent. Yeah. He is he was in Lin-Manuel Miranda's um, freestyle rap improv yeah. group. It's like a comedy freestyle group. We are freestyle love supreme. There's a great documentary about it on Hulu, I want to say. And he talks about sort of being in Hamilton and then that not panning out and the experience of that. Wow! Within that documentary, oh, and being in the I early guess. drafts of Hamilton and getting it was left also so it was all, well not sails away. Really, a, <laughs> I know. Really, a, oh, he basically had like substance abuse problems and like now is fully sober. But like talked about that being like a reason he missed out. Mm. I also want to shout out. There's this. I don't think great movie, and I don't think it got a ton of attention. But it's called Britney Runs a Marathon. And Utarsh, am I saying that name right? I think it's Utarsh. Utarsh. Yeah, there's a K. Yeah. Thank you. Um, he plays the like romantic love interest in that movie. Dude is a great rom com lead. Like that was my number one takeaway yeah. from that movie. And I would love for Hollywood to put him in every rom com because he like I had only seen him in Pitch Perfect where he's very goofy, and this was like just like so charming romantic lead. So like, it's worth seeing that movie that I mixed on just for that performance, because it's so great. Yeah, I, I think it's safe to say he had, of all the dudes, I think he had the most, like, sexual kind of charisma, you know? And it, he talks about how, like, mm-hmm. after that movie, he would get, like, whatever, he'd walk on the street and get, like, marriage proposals and stuff. I'm just like, yeah, if that was a white actor, he would, then we would have seen a whole generation of rom-coms, you know, like, with him. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah. But I, I'll have to watch that documentary. I didn't know that. That's very cool. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into now a little more of Dev specifically, mm-hmm. because it's what we're here to do. I'm like, um, this isn't a podcast <laughs> where we just discuss brown actors. I thought that's what I was here to do. Hey, man. You know, I mean, this is a podcast where we love all actors, so I'm always happy to do any sort of actor <laughs> tangent, especially when we can shout out great and underappreciated people. Yeah, and as we've said many times, it's a podcast where we do whatever we want, and that includes you, others. <laughs> so whatever yeah, you true. want to talk about, you just, you just let us have it. Um, okay, so one thing I... I really appreciate about Dev's performance in this movie 
And I think in some ways the most transformative thing about it is how like internal it is. Because I do think of him as like a broader actor. Like I talked about this before, but on Skins, he's really playing a broad comedic character. You know, he's great at the, he's great at the really goofy stereotypical comedy in Marigold Hotel, but that's a very very broad performance. Even Slumdog, I think, is a is it's a movie that's operating on a more heightened level. Mm-hmm. So his performance matches that, even though it's also a great performance. But I feel like in Lion, like he's just so. I'm I feel so proud of him. I'm like, look at how far you've come from this like kind of corny performance in skins to this like beautifully nuanced internal performance. I feel like his whole career is just stripping back all of this sort of like, you know, external actorly tricks and just being like increasingly honest. And this is such a lovely culmination of that. I'm so interested in you in what you said about some of the things they did behind the scenes on this, because it really sounds like it is kind of a method performance, but Contrasting some of our earlier discussions, see Christian Bale about method acting usually being something that is so abusive or yeah. self self abusive. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it's it was method in a very uh, I don't know nurturing, tender way, yeah. which I think is so key because it's not a movie. I mean, I guess you could argue like it is a movie about suffering or pain, but it's also like a movie about family and tenderness and and people who care deeply for each other and are just. It's just about like tangled web of people trying to take care of their family members as best they possibly can yeah and i think he like um yeah i mean i I don't i guess just my opinion but i actually think like a lot of the moments like he really does nail like i think he has some like really difficult and that was sort of my point about the trailer was like i was like oh god this is just going to be all these like melodramatic awful moments and i actually think like he there's a lot of different like levels and moments and i think honestly a lot of them they feel earned like I do. Yeah, I agree. I think that it's like totally a new kind of frontier for him. And um, it's it's like really cool to hear him uh, kind of, you know, or sorry, not hear him, like watch him like grow into that and, you know, like be able to be kind of like a subtle actor. I, I totally agree. And since you bring up the family, I don't, I don't know if we want to like transition just yet, but I just have to say that like one of my great fucking regrets about this movie is like, why don't they develop the brother's character more? I'm like, you set up this like really fascinating like duality. The, the brother and us. Uh, uh, Mantosh? Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. They all call him Mantosh. I'm pretty sure his name is Mantosh, but I don't know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they all call him Mantosh, but he, like, I just think, like, even that first scene with the two of them, like, the way that, you know, Saru re- responds to everything, and then they show him, and the way that he responds yeah. to everything, and I think this theme of, like, you didn't just adopt us, but you adopted our past is, like, yeah. a very, like, yeah. compelling one, and I just wanted, like, I thought that they were going to set it up where we would get to know much more about him, and, like, at least a little bit more about him, and then I think he ends up being kind of this like unrealized fringe character in my opinion which i was like so sad about because that like to this like family theme like that's such an interesting like arc and then it doesn't feel right so then when he has that moment where he's like like he first says you're not my brother and then he goes and like when he's sleeping he's like i'm sorry like you are my brother that moment like to me totally falls flat because i'm like you didn't have an arc with him we just saw you fight with him once and then like all of a sudden you're like oh no i love you know like i love him and i just yeah anyway that was so sad like that mostly works as as part of the arc of of Saru's relationship with Sue, his mother, with, to which both 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 adoptive father John and brother Mantosh are sort of like they mostly they they mostly fill out the space, but it really seems like it's it's um about that. And I do think it is a very interesting dynamic to see these two. Can I just say if you for people that don't haven't seen this movie or don't remember, this is the this is um a brother. So he 
Saru is adopted by Nicole Kidman and I'm forgetting the David guy who plays her husband. AKA you. Faramir. Then, yeah, sorry. your boy. Your boy <laughs> yeah, yeah, how could I son forget? Of Gondola. Um, although weirdly now I associate him with Iron Fist because he was also in that and I watched that more recently. Not good There was your mistake watching Iron Fist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Truly. Um, so Saru's with them for maybe like about a year and then they adopt um, a second kid and he sort of has far more severe like behavioral mental health issues that sort of continue into adulthood and maybe has substance abuse issues again it's not super specific but essentially he's just like far more troubled than saru seems to be in the movie sort of gets at that dynamic but i think you're completely right in saying it doesn't dig into it fully what it seems what it seems to do with it to me is that they are both these kids are clearly both adopted from i guess presumably similar circumstances from suffice it to say a life of trauma and uh mantosh's ptsd is much more severe or or it or it um manifests itself much more mm-hmm. sort of um uh spectacularly violently yeah and yet um when we first flash forward 20 years saru really seems to have like to be living like a pretty stable life you know he's off to grad school he he does experience i think we could see some like some mental issues during the second half of the movie but they don't really manifest until he starts uncovering his past and during that time he's he he's so unforgiving of of mantosh's like acting up or you know abusing drugs or whatever it is and so be, because he feels protective of his adoptive mom the mom yeah. and so i think it is an interesting arc for him to go through to learn somewhat to um to forgive his brother as he comes to understand the way in which they both are still carrying around this baggage. Although I think you're right, others, that it's like almost all of that happens off screen. That character does have a rough go of it every time he's on screen. It's well, and like one more, again, like one more thing that I feel like they set up that I was like, Oh shit is like, um, so it's kind of like a, a small moment, but so when he's still in the government orphanage, um, I don't know if you all remember, but there's another character. So when he's like sitting in the classroom and they're like kind of repeating, I think it's like numbers or letters. There's another mm-hmm. character in the movie, um, that they show in the back of the classroom. He's kind of like hitting his head against the wall. Yeah. Um, and then basically, as you yeah so it's sort of like what's going on with him all the teachers get mad at him he's like dragged out of the classroom and then beaten um and basically you know kind of sets up that like within that classroom there's this like quote-unquote problem child and then later that night like when they're all sleeping um they wake him up and again basically like you know this like middle-aged man like takes him and i think the last line you hear is like have him back um yeah, like he, he's shown being being like taken off, you know, by this like police yeah. officer. And the implication, I think, you know, is that he is like sexually abused. And that like the, the way that at least I read it this way, like his kind of the way that he responds to that trauma is by like hitting his head. That's what they show mm-hmm. him. And uh, Mantosh, like his whole thing, right? The first scene they show him, he starts like hitting himself when he's under stress and even as an mm-hmm. adult. And so for me, it actually like sets up this like they yeah, they don't go into it. But I kind of read that as like. You, you have this understanding that actually Mantosh, obviously Saru has like horrors, you know, in his past, but in that scene, in that moment, we actually like view him as fortunate, right? Compared to what's mm-hmm. happening to this other character, like 
you know, he's able to like get out of the orphanage, you know, again, not saying that he has an easy time, but relatively speaking, at least that particular thing doesn't happen to him. So then when I think you apply that to Mantosh, I kind of took it to mean that like Mantosh probably has trauma in his past that even maybe even like Saru's trauma like pales, which like whatever, we, not that it's important. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to like compare trauma or say like one is worse than the other, yeah. but I do think like they kind of set it up to have this thing where like Mantosh is probably battling demons that even like Saru might may or may not know. And so yeah. like, what does that, you know, what does that mean? And I think like, like even as an adult, like he's, I think more maladjusted than Saru, which I think they show a lot. And, but then again, like we don't, um, I'm, I'm sitting here like pontificating because we never actually like get to know his character any better than that. But, mm-hmm. um, but I, I thought that it was like a really specific choice to have that character in the orphanage, show him, like go to pains to show that and then have Mantosh mirror him in that way and then mm-hmm. sort of not do anything with it. And maybe it's like they, I don't know, want to leave it up to imagination, but I was just, yeah, I was a little bit confused by that choice. And yeah, yeah, anyway. Just in general, I think the second half of the movie, I think the idea of doing an external conflict and then internal conflict is like great on paper. I think in I think the second half struggles to make the internal conflict as dynamic as the external conflict of the first half was. And there's a lot of dangling threads like that. Like to some degree, I think Rooney Mara's character, who's who plays um Saru's girlfriend, she also feels like a like she's really she's given more attention than Mantosh is and I think it's a lovely performance, but she also feels like a thread that's not fully resolved. Mm-hmm. It does kind of feel like the second half is sort of, it's trying to do that thing of just stewing in, you know, different experiences that Saru is having. But the first half is obviously so narrative driven in terms of he's literally traveling places and we're tracing that. And the second half, I think so much of it is literally him sitting on a couch and using Google Earth, which is this new platform circa 2008, just to try to figure out where he potentially could have come from. And it's just hard to dramatize that. And I don't think they fully solve that problem and i do think it leads to some some things that feel like thematically unresolved in the second half which is like if i have a critique of the movie it would be that exactly what you're saying that that there's things that don't quite come together in the way that i would like them to yeah i think it's like the life of pi problem you know where it's like we don't get to be in his head so they have to like Mm -hmm. sometimes they don't successfully do and i think it also in the first half it leads to like I think emotionally for me it worked, but I can see how some of those lines are cheesy when he's like laying down and he's like, I miss you, mom, or like, you know, I'm sorry. I think like those lines maybe can read as a little bit cheesy, but it's just like, how else do we get at like, you know, him like just laying there feeling those thoughts? I think similarly, yeah, I'm with you, you know, I'm with you that like a lot of it is just like him staring out a window and it, yeah, you can't like write his like inner monologue without him like Mm -hmm. speaking it in a weird like not naturalistic way well well first off i had no thought of that moment where young sunny pawar is saying i miss you mom and saying good boy to himself i had no thought of that being cheesy because i was just i was just split in half by it um but i do i do think uh in that second half you have scenes where even maybe from like a directing writing editing perspective i think they're a little loose it does give us some good some really good dev moments and and they do have moments that I think do I, I really like the convention where he's sort of like being haunted by he's just like seeing his brother Gudu everywhere, his his, yeah, his biological totally. brother from his from the very first scenes of the movie. I think that's really effective and I, I sort of like the magical realism of it there. I think the scene one of my favorite scenes from the second half of the movie is when he when he is at this party, which is I think is a really interesting little chapter where he's he's with a number of other 
Indian and Indian Australian like grad students in this program has this moment where he says like no I was I was adopted I'm not really Indian which just like mm-hmm. hit me and, and but he's at this party and he runs into the kitchen and he just sees this this plate of the the jalebis these little things that here's got, my hot take jalebi yeah. are not good I don't know if you guys have ever had them <laughs> obviously like really beautiful <laughs> moment um they taste like ass I don't know what else to say like, I mean it, the, yeah it, anyways, it does sorry, look just, like the the kind of thing that in Western cuisine would be sort of analogous to like fried carnival food. Yeah. Which is anyway, which is delicious, but I just like, it's like basically like congealed sugar syrup, whatever. There's like, I'm sure you're going to have listeners who are going to be like, fuck that dude. Don't bring him on the show again. (laughs) Some people really love jalebi, but I need to go on record saying like, I really hate jalebi. I think Okay. as a kid also, I really did. We're here for all jalebi hot takes. Yeah. As as someone who's never tasted them, I found that moment where he just sees them and you're like, Oh, because because they haven't done that much to explore at that point since jumping forward 20 years they haven't done that much to show like what does he remember what does he not remember Mm -hmm. and then just like picking it up and tasting it in that moment is just really i just i just love that scene and he he does kind of like in a way that i think is true to life when people have a strong emotional reaction like a lot of times you have a big emotional reaction in real life particularly in a public space with new people it's a very kind of like uh uh let me like pinch this off uh, keep it inside myself thing it doesn't it doesn't take on a melodramatic form so i i love that moment i don't know that was that was one of many yeah. moments that just like got me very emotional and one that i think he nailed to be honest like i think yeah. that yeah like, from an acting perspective i was like you did great the only thing i think is that after that i feel like it gets rushed you know i think like mm-hmm. i wish his relationship um with his girlfriend like i wish that that was a little bit more like that, you know, it's like they like meet each other in class. They like do that funny little Bollywood dancey thing, which I'm sure some people hated. Just, I was charmed. Oh, by it. I, I loved it too. Yeah, I was so yeah, charmed was by like, it. Wow. It was so cute. Is, yeah, I was like, wow. I lo- like that's you know, like I dream about having that kind of interaction with someone on the yeah. street. So I was like very charmed by that. And then the party, and then I just felt like it. Yeah, it was like all of a sudden he hit that. He ate that jalebi. That was a beautiful moment. And then all of a sudden the rest of it just like pours out which like maybe you know like they i don't know i guess like maybe they felt like editing they had to do that but i did think given that it's such a pivotal relationship in the movie like i wish that they had like like that jalebi moment i wish he had more of like a realization and we saw him like coming to terms that he can like no longer ignore like his past or whatever mm-hmm. um but yeah that was my only sadness was that the rest of it after that jalebi moment felt very rushed and all of a sudden he's like in it you know he's like in this party and they're like oh we can like do google maps i'm like and then he's like, okay, I'm going to like, you know, like I'm going to do it. Like it all happened so quick that I thought, um, yeah, I just wanted maybe more of like a build or like to watch his journey more. There is something about the pacing of the second half that just feels off in some way. And yeah. maybe it's because they felt like they wanted to address so many things. Right. They wanted to show him with his girlfriend and they wanted to show him with his brother. And I think ultimately maybe it would have been to their benefit to really pare it down to his relationship with his mom. Because I do think – that's the thing, the Dev and Nicole Kidman scenes that really stand out to me. I think they're so lovely. Um, one thing, Ned, I thought you would like this, but the, I saw, I found a quote from Dev that said, I look for mentors in the work I do. And he said, actually, a big reason he took Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, even though it's maybe was not a part he was interested in, is because he got to work with, you know, Judy Dench yeah. and all of these and Bill Nighy and all these legendary people. And obviously, Nicole fits that too. And like interviews with him are just so sweet. He's just so like... He just feels so gracious to like, you know, other people's acting process, e- even if he did, like you were saying, maybe sort of a method acty method acty process on this, like, 
it does definitely does not come out in that like machismo. I had to be the best and I destroyed myself. It's very much like, oh, it was such an honor to watch Nicole work. And in working with her, like I got to bring stuff out of my performance. And I, I do feel like you feel a really strong and lovely connection between the two of them. And I think she's, they were, so um, Nicole and Deb were both nominated for Oscars for this, which is, I mean, frankly, no big thing for her. I feel like she gets nominated for Oscars all the time, but it was his first and so far only Oscar nomination. So obviously another big part of why this movie is sort of a turning point for his career. It does make a lot of money actually and get all of this Oscar attention. Tiny sidebar, what do you think about him being entered as best supporting actor at the Oscars? It doesn't read that weird to me. I mean, I think clearly Saru is the protagonist of the movie but it is a performance where maybe there is not a lead actor mm-hmm. like maybe he and Sonny are both yeah you know I'm they're like, both giving half he, a performance supporting i mean whatever it doesn't it doesn't feel unusual in a way in a in a acting awards thing that by its very structure sort of like mandates that shall we say category fraud i don't think it's it's uh agreed it is a weird yeah, circumstance like, he's not that. he's not supporting anybody I, everyone's supporting him yeah i would have made them both like leads i think like because mm-hmm. yeah. i feel like he's also very sweet in interviews about being like you know i was building on Sonny's shoulders like he's giving the real performance and like uh, yeah. this whole podcast is just me slowly falling more and more in love with dev patel mm-hmm. <laughs> as the more research i do he brought his um mom as his oscars date that year so cute. and there's just, like interviews of like ryan seacrest being like come join this interview you know mama patel and dev has also said that he is super close to his mom we talked about on our slumdog episode how she sort of got him into acting in the first place and obviously this movie is so much about mothers and sons so he cited that as another like point of connection he felt to the movie so it feels very sweet and full circle that he brought his mom with him oh i'm so hyped to report this fact especially for you caroline so i have a cousin this is another wild story um i have a cousin um who like lives in la who um todd has met i don't know if you met him Ned, but anyway i have a cousin who lives in la who dated someone who dated dev patel which like what insane i'm like well we need to do like a bonus and guys cousin episode. and i know <laughs> you so yeah wow basically you dated dev patel man congratulations oh my god okay but, so get um, dev to uh come on the show so we can yeah, interview exactly. him <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just shoot him a text but um but what he told me was that she said that he's like as nice and sweet like as a partner well, well, like well, basically well, 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 she was like well, no well. it's like dating that like nice guy that you see in the interviews uh, which like for me with nice celebrities now i feel like i've developed such a like you never you know, know. i'm like who knows is it all manufactured just as a great yeah. public public publicist publicist yeah. um like you know like i can't uh I'm not willing to Google to find out whether, like, the Queer Eye guys are friends or not. I just don't want to know. I got Sure. I, Some things are just yeah, better left exactly. unexplored. Yeah. But well, in this case... Sorry to your that, cousin, but that's good news as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah, that's a truly yeah, incredible fact. Exactly. Um, and, yeah, he's, like, that honestly made me, like, that to tell. I'm so great. Like, so great. So, anyway, yeah. But love to drop that little kernel. Please. Well, that's actually a perfect... Um, segue to something another quote i wanted to bring up which i think was very astute on the behalf of director garth i keep wanting to say gareth it's garth garth is, davis if i've said gareth is there like a gareth a davies as well as a garth yeah i think there yeah like gareth and a gareth edwards i don't know what i'm thinking i don't know Feels gareth like davies is a name. rugby union player so that can't be what i'm thinking of anyway <laughs> please continue maybe it is um he won he said uh, this is a quote. The thing about Dev is that he's such a beautiful soul. He has this light in him. And I thought that was important. I thought that it was important that people like Saru because the character was going to go to such a dark place. If you have a dark, serious actor in that role, I thought it would be tough for the audience to hack it. 
I really felt that Saru got his light, got this light from his family, and I really wanted that light in my actors. And I think that is such a good call as a director and as a person casting this movie, because it is if you had gotten somebody who goes method in the sense of like, I'm just going to play this guy like you know, losing his mind and going so serious and destroying himself. I do think this would have been a heavy movie and not a good way. And Dev really does strike that balance of like, you do him see him so light and buoyant when we first see him, you know, we first see him in the movie and then he, he goes darker, but he never, like, I don't know, I, everything I just read in that quote, like, I think it's so accurate that that lightness is such a a gift to this movie and really like balances it well because you need to see that he's doing he's doing something that is in the way he's pursuing it unhealthy for him but it's a sympathetic obsession and if with another actor Mm -hmm. you could just be like the whole second hour like stop being such a dick to your family man why don't you call your girlfriend back and get her take a shower so yeah yeah i totally agree i think like another actor wouldn't have pulled it off because i feel like at the end i'm like damn he is really being a dick but then yeah but i I think he's like sympathetic and also because you see that like where he started and you know where he ends up rather than him just being brooding all the time yeah it's key it's key if you're going to tell a story about someone who does who kind of you know the the sort of plot of the second half is he goes into sort of a somewhat into a hole that's that is self-destructive in the way he's pursuing it where it becomes about totally like closing off all his like support networks in his life yeah it's just such an insane like premise you know like i just couldn't the whole time i was watching i couldn't get over like the idea that, like, he has no idea where this village is, but he knows it exists. Like, he has the lack of closure is just so stunning mm-hmm. to me. And then, like, this Google Maps thing, like, normally it would be like, okay, there's just no way to know. And maybe you could find some sort of, like, difficult but solace in that. And then, like, it just, just so happens that it happens at a time when Google Earth becomes a thing. And he, like, um, yeah, like, all of a sudden there's, like, this, like, very narrow door, you know? It's, like, a very small chance yeah. that actually, like, he could conceivably find it, but it's basically, like, playing the odds. And actually in that Variety article, which, like, I'm trying not to bring up too much because I know, like, we're trying to talk about the movie, but... No, 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 the, please do, as much as you yeah, want. In the Variety article, like, he, they mentioned that, I guess, like, he, like, after, like, a few years, like, he's not having much success, but actually at his at his girlfriend's place, she has, like, way faster internet. Um, and so when he tries Google Earth at her place, it's like, he's able to go much faster. And so it's almost like, it's almost like it's like addiction kind of. And it's like, yeah, yeah, after a couple years, like he, he's like, okay, like this isn't working, you know, like whatever, maybe chills out a little bit. And then in the actual story, it sounds like he, he encounters faster internet and all of a sudden it's like, you know, putting a bottle back in his hands and it's like, okay, now he's going to yeah. get swallowed up for another couple of years chasing this like ostensibly like kind of, you know, needle in a haystack, like pointless thing. And then like the fact that it actually works is so crazy. Like if this was not, if this was a movie and not based on a real story, I feel like yeah. it would be maybe like too much, but it's yes. just crazy that that's like really what, really what happens. Yeah, it is wild. And yeah, maybe we should talk about the ending because <sighs> it is, I mean, I remember and you were saying this too, Ned, but it's like the first time you watch this, unless you happen to have like researched this guy's story beforehand, you just have no idea where it's going to go. And ultimately he does end up miraculously finding his hometown and reuniting with his biological mom and then and his biological sister. And then really tra- this was the thing that really like destroyed me the first time I saw this movie is they find out that um, his like really beloved and lovely older brother, Gadu, who he had been traveling with. Who, who Saru has, like, spent all these years, like, feeling so guilty that he feels like he abandoned his brother. And then you find out that his brother was killed um, being struck by a train literally that day that Saru went missing. And it's just, like, wild to think about all these years that Saru spent, you know, thinking his brother was out there. It's just, like, I don't know, that just, like, really destroyed me. I mean, obviously, the whole thing is so emotional, but that, 
you know, they the way they the whole Saru thing plays out and the movie's dedicated to his memory. And yeah, I don't know if you guys have sounded like you were very uh, hit emotionally by this movie, Ned, in your watching definitely, of it. Today. Definitely. I was, I was just crying a, a huge amount. And I was just like, you know, I was just sitting in my apartment. We're all in here. And I'm just like looking out at Emily, like working her normal job. And, and I'm just like, you don't know. I'm, you, you, you look at this emotional reaction I'm having. I'm having a crazy intense experience here at like at like 11 in the morning, just like sobbing over this movie. Because I think, I don't know what scene it was, but there was some scene early on where I was just imagining like, oh God, if he saw his mom again, like what that would be like to know that like 25 mm-hmm. years, they've just been like wanting to reunite and then like it happens, but like you'll never get those 25 years back. So I yeah. like, I did, I did a big cry in the middle of the movie, just anticipating what that would be like. And then I did kind of expect it never to happen because it feels like emotionally the arc in the second half isn't so much whether he can learn, you know, every every main character is going to have an emotional like challenge that you expect them to essentially surmount. And it's not I'm not seeing it as being can he be clever enough to figure it out? It's can he be, you know, emotionally mature enough to let it go? And he does, but then he like, he like clicks over and finds the thing. And and when he goes back, it just, yeah, I just then started weeping all over again. Oh yeah. And it's just like, what, yeah. What's his relationship to both sets of parents? Like I thought that 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 beautiful line at the end when he's sort of like, you know, my mom is just like grateful to y'all for raising me. And it's like enough for her to know that I'm alive. Like that kind of, um, yeah, like, I don't know. I, I just think, like, that's, like, so amazing. Uh, like, the that's just, like, a really high level of emotional maturity. And, like, I don't just, Yeah, again, it's, like, just an unthinkable situation. And that scene where they're reunited is, like, honestly, like, as good. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I think it's, like, everything it needs to be. Oh, my God. I was, like, mm-hmm. so emotionally hit by it. Like, when she, like, feels for his cut for the watermelon. <sighs> yeah. Um, and, like, and he's, like, the And they don't even really speak the same language, which is also another theme of this know, movie is, like... <laughs> You know, not speaking a language and even within India, like not speaking a regional dialect and how much, you know, that can alienate you from people. But yeah, the uh, the connection that they have over the watermelons, even if they aren't saying the same word for it, yeah. it's like, you know, they're they're thinking the exact same oh thing. God, her just feeling his head and just being like, this is my son. He's not this man, but I yeah. know the scar will be right here. And it is and that like just not, oh my lord um and so that thing because they did the india filming first that was the first stuff that dev filmed oh, and he wow. filmed that before he had met the real life saru and then when he said when he met him he was like i hope i didn't mess up because we already filmed like the whole ending <laughs> of the movie so if for some reason he meets me and hates me like we're really oh, screwed which obviously didn't happen um and then they at the end the thing that also really got me is they show footage of the real life mom's <laughs> meeting killed me oh man which totally oh my god i'm yeah. like i just love art about moms like i feel like moms are really the depth of motherhood is like underrepresented in pop culture. And I like the way both moms in this movie, they're just so understanding of the situation. And, and, and Saru's like scared to tell his uh, mom, adopted mom Sue that, you know, he's looking for his birth mom and, and he's thinking, Oh, you adopted kids. Cause you couldn't have kids. And I was like a second choice for you. And then she's like, no, this is what I wanted. Like, this is exactly what I wanted my family to look like. And that's like, a huge eye opener for him in terms of like the depth of his mom's emotions that maybe he had been like, you know, taking for granted. And then the, yeah, the idea of like both moms are so appreciative of what the other mom gave, yeah, you know, so to the same son that they so share. Giving. Like it's so beautiful. Yeah, it's just a movie about extremely unselfish people. <laughs> well, yeah. okay. Yeah. I, so I totally agree. I thought that the parents, like basically for the whole movie, right. I think especially Saru's Australian parents, like they're pretty amazing. Like consistently there's a lot of like, I don't know, even the way the dad, like, reacts to Mantosh's, like, 
outburst. Like it's just, I think like they're just really amazing. Um, and again, I just like, it made me think a lot about like, yeah, the, the, there's a lot of like, I think complexities that come with adopting, um, particularly kids who are like old enough to like have a past, you know? And so yeah. I just thought there was and transracial adoption. Right, exactly. Is a whole... Well, uh, yeah, exactly. Right. And you're sort of like, damn, like they're, they just, I got the sense that they were sort of like, you know, like, we don't know everything. We're going to like figure it out. We're doing our best here. And then, yeah, like her whole thing that like, you know, we, we know, like we knew that we were adopting kids of the past and it wouldn't be easy, but like, this is what we wanted to do. But then we have to talk about the scene that like, they almost, maybe, I don't, I'm still. Talk I'm about like, it, speak on I'm it. I'm like in denial. I don't know. Do you it's know? a strange moment. You, yeah. What I, the? Th- I think I know what you're going to say, but go okay, ahead. Okay. So yeah. basically, I guess like to explain it in case there are people who are listening who have not seen this movie. Um, but also I'd be so impressed if you made it this far without having watched this movie. <laughs> but um, there's this moment where, yeah, so after basically she explains, like, I could have had a kid, uh, but this is what I wanted. And then she's sort of like, that's why I fell in love with your dad, because, like, he kind of agreed. And again, she was, she, I'm, like, still with her, you know? She's like, we both agreed that, like, this world is kind of fucked up, and, like, we don't know that, like, bringing another kid into it is, like, like, you know, like, a good thing, but, like, we could, like, give a kid who's, like, suffering a home. All of this so far, I'm like, yeah, all thoughts I've had, you know, I'm with it. And uh. then she goes into this weird-ass thing, and I, like, I gotta know if this is, like, something that really the mom said, or if they made it up for the movie. It's gotta which- be. I anyway so she she gives this monologue where she's basically like I was 12 years old my dad was an alcoholic um which you know and like she's basically talking about like she's kind of standing I forget where she's standing but she talks about like she hopes like the earth would swallow her up so presumably like she's kind of you know just like devastated by whatever is happening and then she talks about having a vision of like a brown boy that she could then adopt which now I'm like oh fuck dude so now this is like some weird ass like fetishization like she's like oh my life is all fucked up and so i'm gonna like patch up my life by like injecting a brown kid into it and the the fact like honestly she could have saved it by being like i saw a kid in the distance and she then says I was a like, brown-skinned okay. child oh god even like that language i'm like what the fuck like i we spent this whole movie building up these like you know there's obviously complex racial dynamics i'm like you know it's a white filmmaker like you said it's a white filmmaker making a movie about india like it is we built this whole movie up and the parents like i'm so on board with the parents and then it turns out that she has some weird fucking like narrative about how yeah adopting like a brown skinned child is gonna like save her and now we're like right back to this like white savior bullshit we're right now and now it makes me question like it makes me question their whole relationship you know like when she thinks of like her sons does she think of them as like complex nuanced people or does she think of them as like one-dimensional sad indian kids who like she saved you know and like it's just like their relationship is so dynamic and like you know it's like she's like she's gone through a lot like they, uh, in the process of raising them like they just have such a dynamic relationship and it's definitely the movie paints it as like the like main relationship and for me like i was like fuck like am i just watching like a a, a, a racist white lady who like has some brown kid fantasy i I could oh man and honestly the it's a the first time i watched no, it it just sorry i know i'm like all heated and still got no, it, no, no, please. um the first time i watched it i didn't remember like um mm-hmm. when i watched it in 2016 maybe like i missed that those words or like maybe i glazed over it because i was having a, like i mentioned it was kind of an insane emotional situation for me but i didn't catch that last time so i didn't know like i went into lion without that and then this time when i watched it yesterday for this podcast 
podcast, like I was like, oh my God, like what is happening? So anyway, yeah, that was such a tough moment. And yeah, I don't know. I similarly like somehow, and it's, I think it's because it's like from there you, he goes back to India, he meets his mom and like, all you can do is think about what you're feeling. And I kind of forgot about it until you're like, well, what about the moment? I'm like, what? Oh no, I am gonna, I would assume that that is an actual thing that the Sue Brierly said, because otherwise it's just such a baffling choice to put it in the movie. I mean, the reason is it just feels like the way in which, I don't know that this, this is such a weird, like, like, like world of ideas to explore. But I'm like, when I think about, you know, there's people who I think are generally like, forward thinking good progressive and then they'll just like say some shit where it's like damn okay that was a real yeah that's a whack that's a whack thing you just said and you need to pull that apart but it's like the 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 best thing i can say about it is like real life people non-film characters contain so 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 much that these like things exist so because it's like as you said like wait, wait a minute wait a minute wait is she this whole time just like a racist white lady and I think, like, if I were writing that into my movie and it just came out of my brain, then that would be the character I was creating, which is why I assume it's, like, it's so clear that Saru, as the storyteller of this, has this, like, deep affection. I mean, he he is not at a place where he thinks, like, you know what, my, like, my adoptive parents, like, they actually never really saw me as me. He clearly feels loved by them and feels a deep love for them. And yet it's entirely possible that contained within that is this... This like weird complex that his mom had, or maybe that's just a, I, yeah, I, I will say, I think it's a kind of a, a strange choice to put that where it is in the movie because it's her final scene and it ends up being kind of like the final note. And you're like, is this what we're supposed to take away from her? Yeah. It feels human to me to have, frankly, like white people who are doing a lot of good work and are good allies, but still can't completely unentangle, disentangle themselves from racist ideas that they grew up in but with movie characters you do end up kind of like telling a story of a person and i think that is a weird thing to include in this story yeah it's it feels weird that it's not addressed in any way after the fact Mm -hmm. and i think either that could be because the filmmakers don't know it's a weird thing for her to have said which is possible although based on the rest of the film i would suspect that they are more aiming for the Similar to what we were saying about the India scenes where it's sort of just like, these things happened. You yeah. know what I mean? Then it's like some of them were good and some of them were bad. It, it maybe my read would be that they were trying to sort of be like, this is a thing she said. And yeah, it was kind of weird, but it's true to the situation. But it, it does feel like a moment that would have been helpful to slightly unpack more, especially for, frankly, an audience that wouldn't necessarily find that moment jarring. Like, I think there's probably a lot of people watching who maybe wouldn't understand that was a weird thing for her to have said. And it would might have been nice to just like, Give us a moment for to see Saru unpacking that in some capacity. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually really appreciate that comment, Caroline, because I was going to say I read it as like very much that this is where I like now call out like the white director where I'm like, this is how you know it's a white artistic team who li- mm-hmm. who reads this monologue and like nothing strikes them as weird. And I just think that like, and maybe it's also helpful. Like, yeah, I wonder if the listeners are like, yo, who, who hurt Adarsh? And it's, it's maybe helpful to like, <laughs> Um, bring in my background here, which is that like for the last however many years I worked in global health and like international development. And I just think that like I spent 
so much time like doing what Ned is talking about, you know, like working with people and, you know, me too, like every whatever, one or two months I was like, am I a colonist? Am I doing colonialism? And that's an unanswered question, I think, when it comes to international development. But I, I bring it up to say anyway that like, I think that this is a really salient thing, you know, that like in there are so many well-meaning, like often white people who like come out trying to like do good and then actually do like harm. And actually, I think like that's and a lot of people in our lives are like flawed in that way. And so I'm not, I'm not asking for like a um, like painting over of it, but I'm like, that's like an interesting and important thing to like diagnose that like uh, Saru, like, you know, in India suffered one kind of like trauma and harm. And like maybe in Australia, in an all white community, we don't even like get into all of that, right? But like in his hometown, I can't even imagine what his experience was like in the 80s, right? In Australia. And so like, is that, like another kind of harm that he and Mantosh may have experienced, right? It's like, there's actually like a whole universe there and they probably like don't have time to get into it. Um, but to me, the movie does not feel self-conscious of what, it's like, or sorry, not self-conscious, self-aware mm-hmm. of like what that mm-hmm. moment was. Like, I think the way in which it's just sort of put in there, it really read to me like she's de- like, it's, it's like her crescendo, right? She's like, I didn't, um, you know, like I could have had kids, but I chose this because I wanted it. I wanted you. I married your father because he also like wanted the same thing. And then you're waiting for this like big, you know, crescendo. And the crescendo is like this weird line about like a poor brown child. Um, and to me, like at the very least, if you felt like you had to include that line, I don't think I would have put it. I just feel like a creative team that was like acutely aware of the problematic nature of that wouldn't have put it there but maybe that's Mm -hmm. like maybe their take would be like we're putting this on screen for the viewers and we don't need like because Saru did not like you know whatever in that moment unpack it like we don't want to like artificially put that work in there that's like an interesting take and I think like one that certainly then it's like okay you put thought into it whether or not you made the right decision you know it's kind of like up to people to decide but at least you thought about it but to me it's super super red as like this didn't even occur to you. And that's when I was like, oh, this mm-hmm. is made by a white team. It's made in 2016 at a time when I don't think, like, the discourse is where it's today. And, yeah, and that, that now is kind of like, damn. And we, like, we don't even... This movie obviously doesn't get into the complexities of, like, adopting in that sense, you know? Like, it's, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. An, it's an assumed thing that, like, he is in India, poor, he goes to Australia, his life gets better, even though... Like, even in relation to his parent, like, his family, it's sort of like... He even says, like, I have all this privilege and it makes me sick. So it is kind of this, like, narrative in the movie that, like, it's an assumed thing that he's in a better place and a better existence. Um, but, like, this is, like, I think this could have been an important moment to be, like, it's actually, even that is not that simple because nothing ever is. But, yeah, to me, the movie has no kind of awareness of that. They're like, oh, she had a, she had a <laughs> fucking hallucination of a brown baby. That's yeah. normal for people adopting. And yeah. you're sort of yeah. like, oh. And then they're like, yeah, okay, now big emotional catharsis. And you're, like, you don't even get a time to, like, else. Yeah, like process that. Yeah. But anyway. This is a bit of an, an out-of-left-field recommendation, but and, and certainly not like a one-to-one comparison, but I write about and love the TV show This Is Us, which one of the central characters is a black man adopted into a white family, which the show sort of at various points sort of unpacked. But in this fifth season, they made it like a huge storyline in terms of like, what's the experience of transracial um, adoption like? And I just thought it was like really 
great storytelling and like a topic that is not as mainstream as it should be. So it's a weird recommendation to be like, watch four seasons of a TV show in order to in the fifth season get to this compelling stuff. But like, I don't know, or just read about transracial adoption in general. Like, I think it's a really, it's like, I think that with adoption narratives, a lot of times there is just this idea of like, well, just be grateful for what you have. And there's not space for adoptees to like unpack the many, many complicated emotions they have. And that goes for not transracial adoptees, even adoptees that are the same race as their parents can have incredibly complex emotions. And adding race into that as well is obviously so much going on there. So it is, I do think it's a bummer that this, I almost wish this movie had been two movies, right? right. Like a full movie just with Sunny Pawar and then a full movie just with Deb Patel because there is so much to unpack in Saru's adulthood and it's unfortunate this movie doesn't, but audience, now you can take this as an opportunity <laughs> to educate yourself on this like very, you know, interesting topic that people have written about so beautifully and if you want to do that through This Is Us, I would highly recommend that show. And even like, I'm like, let's get that third movie where we learn about Mantosh, right? Because it's like, that's the other thing, yeah. is like, this opens up, maybe Mantosh, like, um, uh, Saru is obviously very, like, well-adjusted, but it's like, maybe Mantosh had a really fucking terrible time in Australia and that's one of the reasons why he's, you know, like, It's certainly a, a lingering time. question. Um, and we don't, yeah, there's just no... Yeah, it's, again, there's like that. There's that whole realm that could have been explored. But yeah, I, I mean, it's one movie. Whatever they can't like make a four hour thing. But yeah, I'm with you. I would love to watch a second movie where they unpack that. Lion two, <laughs> Dev come back, and I wonder too because I think that the real life Saru was involved in this. I wonder maybe this is giving way too much credit to like things that doesn't deserve credit. But I wonder if there was difficulty in navigating like how much of his real life he wanted to interrogate on screen and if maybe he felt more comfortable interrogating his childhood than his present day does that make sense as a point well, to raise that was that was my like, we're totally in the world of conjecture but i some of the things we're talking about i kept waiting for it to come up like frankly after the first scene with child montosh arriving i thought it was going to be like mm, they decided they wanted to send him back they actually only wanted the really nice kid and I just kept waiting for some sort of exploration of these things yeah. we're talking about. But I would sort of – I think it is there is a distinct possibility that Saru does not view this family in that way. And therefore, it would be weird for the filmmakers to then say, we're going to sort of tell this other story. I mean, it's I, – I, I'm now yeah. giving the I, – okay. I, I, I don't know because I think what you put forward are two entirely plausible scenarios – just as plausible is the idea that these filmmakers had something kind of like sweet and nice about to say about these like adoptive parents. And that was the story they wanted to tell. And then on the other hand, there's the possibility that what they did was they really honored Saru's view of things. And we just don't know because all we have, because I've never read the book. I don't really know anything else about this guy. All we have is this movie is the only document that I have about it. So big question mark yeah yeah i again I, I like that we're just going with the assumption that like she must have really said that because if they made that line up that i mean you're so right they could have they made that up it's like this whole movie is in jeopardy yeah but uh, yeah yeah I, I'm, I'm with uh i'm like yeah let's just go with this explanation because that's what i want it to be yeah um okay maybe we should we'll end this with like maybe shouting out scenes or moments we like but first arash i need to hear Quick hit takes on Avatar The Last Airbender. 
<laughs> Have oh, you so, seen the adaptation that Dev Patel is in, the live adaptation? Yeah, many movie? years ago. And actually, I wanted to rewatch it in preparation for this because I figured you might ask about it, which I didn't do. Um, so my memory of it is hazy. You made the right choice. Let um, me tell you, having just rewatched it, you yeah. made the right choice in not rewatching it. It's so sad. Like, yeah, I just remember being so sad. I mean, it's like parts of it are like offensive. I think like the whitewashing of the water tribe, fuck all that. But also it's just like a bad movie and it could have been so good. I don't know. Are you like familiar with the car? I'm very passionate about the cartoon. Um, I can now as an adult recognize that there are some like transphobic moments, but I think other than that, it's actually like, I would almost use the word perfect to describe that cartoon. So also maybe it was like too high a bar, but I'm, it's just so sad that the source material was so good. And there's just so much there. Like they make so many complex themes, so approachable for kids. It blows my fucking mind. And then for them to just like shit that all away on like a horrible movie is, I was just speechless, you know, I was like, how'd you do this? What did you think, Ned? Did you hate it as much as you thought? Or like, what, yeah, what was your take? Yeah, I didn't, uh, I, I wanted it to be like secretly good all these years and it, it wasn't. I thought there are a few interesting choices and good choices that the movie makes, but they're just, it just felt like a movie that was made that nobody who was in it loved making it or wanted to make it. And they ended up making a movie that was extremely hard to love watching. Do you know Dev Patel has like apologized for it? Yeah. Like he literally No, we kind of were talking about that in our last, well, we were kind of talking about his, I don't know if we went into an apology specifically, but we were talking about his like, clearly he is not happy having with any of that experience. I'm just so, he like was overheard saying to a fan like, yeah, that was shit. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Which I feel bad. You have so much good Dev gossip. This, we need to like, just have you on like a little special beat. Yeah. every episode like give us some more dev yeah. gossip i mean that's like this is what i did right as a brown theater student i like greedily lapped up every bit of information on like brown actors um yeah i could i could find so definitely uh the only thing i'll say about um Tar the last airbender is that uh it's like the love actually for brown actors because of the fire nation like every brown actor ever is in it and i remember yeah. the first time i watched it i was hype on that. that's literally the only positive thing i have to say about it right. um yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's all I got. So it's tough. We love to see people working, but we love it even better when they're working in yeah. actually good yeah. projects. Yeah, exactly. Can I just say to Dev, you you owe no one an apology, man. Yeah. Yeah, truly. Especially since he was like 18. Do you know what else is crazy? On the one hand, I'm like, it's wild that it took Dev this long to get a project like Lion. Like how egregious. He should have gotten something right off of Slumdog. I, I fully yeah, believe oh all God. of that. And then I was also like, he was like 25 when he made Lion. Like when people start so young, it's like you forget how young they still mm-hmm. are. Because it's like, oh, they've been in the business for 10 years. And it's like, yeah, and they're 26 or something. <laughs> like, you know, someone having a big breakout debut at 26 is incredibly impressive he just happened to have already had a big breakout at 18 so it feels like he you know i mean he has been around for so long but it's such an interesting arc to a career when people start so young yeah yeah word he's what he's our age caroline yeah exactly he was born april uh 1990 wow that's crazy damn yeah see but i will say too I'm also wary. I both want to respect Dev as sex symbol and also not feel like I'm just here to objectify him. But it is satisfying when someone is the same age as you because your crush can age up with you. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like when I was 18, like perfect. Dev is the perfect crush for me. Now I'm 31. Dev is still the perfect crush for me. Like we're really it's a good parallel to have. As we yeah, his whole up. like uh, whenever he just got like if this was the first moment he got beardy, that was a that was a good thing. Yes, it was a hundred percent for this role, which he's pretty. He's definitely kept the long hair. The beard will come and go. It will not be a little hint hint. It will not be in the next film we cover. But I think the long hair seems to be here to stay, which really does kind of change his face shape. Yeah, 
Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Because yeah. he's got those, as movies will frequently point out, he's got those sort of, you know, big ears that stick out. And the hair sort of changes the the shape of the, all that. Although I like yeah. Dev in all it's his like hair his lengths. Hair. Like, yeah. I think, it, yeah, that's the, he found the, like, holy grail hair, you know? I'm like, just yeah. keep it. I think, like, you. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. We all strive, I think, to find that perfect hair. And some of us make it and some of us don't. I'm like, you found <laughs> Dude, it. Like, others, your look, like, like six months into last year when you just had so much hair and so much beard that was that was a great that might have been your ultimate hair i know you can't just like rock that all the time but it was powerful it was powerful to see thank you so much yeah that was um yeah like will i ever you know like will i ever have six or eight months without shaving again i guess we'll we'll find out i can tell you that my mom did not um, you need to just show her the picture of Dev and be like, she look, couldn't it's see style. her baby boy under. It was not the same look that Dev has going on. It was like, oh, okay, it was like, okay. yeah, it, it was, was more pirate weird. captain proportions for sure. Love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, closer to yeah, like um, a wizard. <laughs> I would say. Um, although <laughs> your it's Gandalf funny, look. Yeah. No, actually, yeah. I mean, yeah. I didn't even know my beard could grow that long. Um, this is like, yeah, just a quick, uh, quick little tangent. You can keep it or you can cut it. But um, in eighth grade, as Ned will remember, I tried to grow my hair out because that's. Honestly, yeah, Ned's little brother Todd is growing his hair out. I can now, all these years, I can now finally admit that that was not not a big factor for me as to why I grew my hair out. At that time, I would have been like, no, fuck that. I'm doing it because I want to. But now I can, yeah. So anyway, I tried to grow my hair out. It did not go well. I have really thick, curly hair. And yeah, it didn't look good. Um, And finally, like, I tried for a long time to make it work. I straightened it at one point. And finally, I wanted to throw in the towel. But actually, it was my mom who made me keep trying because there's this Indian, this is another Googling for the listeners. Um, there's this Indian actor named Rithik Roshan. That's, uh, or I guess you can write the name in, in the like, yeah. podcast notes, but um, he's this Bollywood actor. He's like, yeah, very like jacked and extremely good dancer, super, super hot. And he like, um, kind of had a similar dev moment where like he had short hair for a long time and then he like grew his hair out for this super ridiculous superhero movie called Krish. Um, but he like, he had this like amazing flowing hair and my mom was obsessed with him and she was like, you can't cut your hair because if we, like he was, she would be like, you, we gotta get to Rithik Roshan. And it was, I was the <laughs> one being like, I need to cut my hair. And my mom was like, no, like Rithik Roshan, look at the picture. You can be that. Um, so yeah, I guess my mom supports long hair, but yeah, the beard was, I think, uh, too I've much given too much. Rithik Roshan at Google um, and man that guy's abs are out of control right i had that already down it was just the hair <laughs> i needed and then it would have been I was, you know I he probably there, spends yeah. an hour in hair and makeup at the beginning of every day others oh, we can't hold ourselves to their standards i mean i said this at the top of the episode but i do feel like the sort of transfer the like glow up dev went through like i really can't think of many actors who've had that thing where they've really just like done a 180 on their you know what i mean like their public persona like i feel like this movie totally reframes Dev, and do we have other anybody have any other like last last minute other things we haven't covered in Lion that we want to real quick shout out other Dev moments? He and Rooney Mara are sweet yeah, together. Good chemistry. Yeah, they're very cute. I think Ned kind of alluded to this with the good do scenes, but for me, all of the flashback scenes work really well. Like when he's yeah. like wandering and like he sees his mom or he sees his brother. That yeah, that I ate that shit up. And then the last scene when it's the two of them walking like on the railway yeah. track. Oh, I loved it's it so beautiful. much. Yeah. So that, that little scene at the beginning where he's just like, I can pick up anything because he yeah. wants to go and like work and he's oh like, I can pick God. up this bike. I can pick up this chair and like Yeah. I mean, okay, once Sonny Poor has a few more credits under his belt, we'll go back and we'll do a Sonny Poor mini series and we'll <laughs> look at the lion more from his perspective and shout out little dude we think you are amazing 
truly yeah. amazing. Oh, also, since you said lion, that last moment where it's like yeah. the last lines in the movie are like, it, he'd been pronouncing it like his, his name wrong the whole time. It actually means Sheru, which means lion. That shit gives me goosebumps every time. Like, I love like, And then the credits roll. It really like, works. Because you kind of realize you haven't been questioning like why the movie is called Lion. Only, right. well, it's funny. I, I clocked it at 140. I was like, you know what? There haven't been any lions in this movie. But then, yeah, they got me. He was the lion. His beautiful mane. Well, next week, we'll be looking at another movie where Dev has a beautiful mane. As I mentioned, no beard in this one. But this, I am so excited for, Ned. I don't know if you've seen this movie. I think it's one of the most underrated movies of 2020. I think it is probably my my favorite Dev Patel performance. It is Armando Iannucci's The Personal History of David Copperfield in which Dev plays the titular character. I am so excited to do that one. Um, have you, you haven't seen that one, have you, Ned? No, I have not. I'm psyched. Oh, I'm so excited to see I like Dickens. <laughs> Another movie with lots of great mentors for Dev to oh, act good. against. So until David Copperfield, that's a wrap on Lion. Adarsh, thank you so much for joining us. Like, quite literally, we could not have had this conversation without you. Your perspective on all of this, your personal experience was so valuable to us. And of course, your avatar knowledge is much appreciated too. If we ever do, somehow, if we ever manage to cover the cartoon series itself, we will obviously have you back on for that. Um, but is there anything you'd like to plug? Is there anywhere our listeners can follow you on social media? Um, yeah, you're, you're welcome to follow my personal Instagram, which um, the handle is a darsh of salt, uh, which I'm very proud of. And my Twitter handle is also that. Um, and yeah, if you follow that, you'll get content from my very riveting <laughs> personal life. <laughs> so come on over. <laughs> awesome. That's just what we want. Um, yeah. Follow out our, sh- you know, Ned and I do weird artistic things. You're like changing the world with world health <laughs> things. Like you're, yeah, you're, you're out there doing incredible work. So we also appreciate you for that. Ned, you got anything else? Nah, I'm good. I'm so psyched to All have right. had, had you on here. Others. It's been a pleasure, dude. Yeah. Yeah, this was amazing. I enjoyed myself so much and this was so fucking fun. And this is my first podcast, so I feel oh, like your first, first podcast. But not your last, we, should have, dude. we should have done that right at the beginning to yeah. set up. I hope it was I hope you had I hope it wasn't too overwhelming for you. You did it amazing. Roll Calling is produced and recorded by us, Caroline Sita and Ned Baker. Our theme music was created by Patrick Buddy and our logo was designed by Nick Wanserski. You can follow us on Twitter at Roll Calling or email us rollcalling at gmail.com. That's R-O-L-E. You can leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts if anyone can figure out how that app works anymore. Next week, we'll be back to look at the personal history of David Copperfield. Until then. We'll be wrestling other exotic cats. <laughs> You're goofy, man. <laughs>